great chapter, a lot of stuff tonight. Um, I'll try to get this out here on time. We might run one or two minutes, but not late, late. But anyway, a lot of verses, a lot of good stuff. And Paul, as he's talking about the things tonight, he'll go in a few different directions, and I'll kind of tell us when that's going to happen. But let's read verse 1, Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Here's what it says. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So let's clarify that word accept. Different translations use similar words. And if you look in the dictionary, which I did, by the way, for you, it says usually two things. To give approval, but that one's not exactly what Paul is saying. The other part of that definition says to receive favorably. That's probably more close to our context, to receive favorably. But who are these people we're talking about, these ones whose faith is weak? Well, they're believers. They're Christ followers. They're part of the early church. They're just those that have a weaker faith than, say, some of the stronger believers. But just so we're clear, they're saved. They're part of the body. They're in the church. But look what it doesn't say. Let's, let's kind of read between the lines what's not there. What it doesn't say is judge them harshly for that weak faith because sometimes that's what we want to do. We want to judge each other. You know, there's a saying out there kind of that Christians eat their young, which means we sort of judge each other. And we, you know, and here's unfortunately what can happen sometime. If I have a sin in my own life, I almost want to find it in yours because it makes me feel better that I'm, I'm not so bad after all. So we tend to criticize each other. And the scripture tonight is going to say, don't do that. So that's kind of our early theme is don't criticize each other. I found a great, a great quote as I was studying tonight. This is from Mother Teresa. Remember Mother Teresa? A great saintly woman that did all kind of mission work overseas in India. Here's what she said. If you spend time judging people, you will have no time to love them. Let me read that again. If you spend your time judging people, you'll have no time to love them. That's a challenge for us. So let's be more loving and less judgmental, but... What are some reasons somebody might have a weak faith? I'll put a few on the screen. This is not an all-inclusive list, by the way, but let's look at a few. Maybe they're brand-new believers. They don't really know what you know as a mature Christian, so we need to help them along. That could be a possible reason for their weak faith. Number two would be they've been here a while, but they're still stuck at what I would call entry-level kingdom involvement. And I was one of those people, by the way. You probably have heard part of my testimony. I don't have time to give it tonight. But I was on the backer over there for 10 years. I was category number two. Entry level, not really involved for 10 years. So don't be me. I said one time on Wednesday night, don't be a Dave. There's a few people that will still come up and tell me, I'm not a Dave. I'm not a Dave. (laughs) So feel free to do that. It's okay. Get involved. Get in a group. Start serving. We'll talk more about that tonight as we go on. Look at the third one, bad teaching, bad doctrine. That wouldn't even be their fault. Maybe they came from a denomination or a church or some kind of small group even where they were infiltrated with kind of all these bad ideas. If you were here a few weekends ago, remember Brian gave us those false gospels? Maybe they came from a situation where all they heard was false gospel. The last one, that would be more on us as a church when I say us. No discipleship. Maybe nobody ever came alongside them as a stronger, more mature believer and guided them, helped them, took them through discipleship. You know, we have a great one-on-one discipleship program here. If you want to be discipled as a person individually, call the church office. We have it for men. We have it for women. 
We also have entire classes. If you do want to do more of a group session, we have a group class discipleship that meets sometime on Thursday night, sometime on the weekend during the services. So we would love to help disciple you if you feel like you're a Dave on the back row for 10 years. So that's just a few of the possible reasons. Not at all, but a few. Brings up our first main point if you're taking notes tonight. If a person in our body has a weaker faith, they need our discipleship, not our judgment. We need to help them, not criticize them. Hold their hand, help them. Because once we were there, remember we were there too. We have to think back to our old early Christian life. And, and sometimes, like I said, it could be years and years. You could be stuck at that entry level. You might still need discipleship. So it's nothing to be ashamed of. Maybe you've just never heard the term. We would love to explain it to you. Back to our text. Let's read verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. This is not talking about vegetarianism like we see in today's culture. Um, we have to learn the context. What is Paul talking about? Well, because it seems a little strange when I read that to you. Well, in Paul's day, early Christians did not eat meat for two reasons. They kind of overanalyzed and thought it out too much. You know, your mind can run crazy if you let it sometime. And they would imagine maybe that meat was sacrificed to a false god or an idol. Not that it was, like it possibly was. So they wouldn't eat meat because it possibly could have been an idol. And then the other reason, main reason would have been, they were kind of newer in the faith, but they were still hung up, like we've been talking about for the last two weekends, on Jewish ritual, Jewish traditions. They were trying to add legalism and the law back in, and they, they went back to those Jewish dietary laws. So they were, became sort of vegetable-only people. But ironically, when Paul talks about this, it says one person's faith allows them, but other is weak. He's kind of saying the weaker one is the vegetable eater. But ironically, I think that person probably sees the meat eater as weak. So they're both, in a way, judging each other. They're doing exactly what Paul is trying to tell us not to. And let me explain legalism real quick. You've probably heard the term, but maybe know exactly what it means. All legalism really means is it's a strict, very strict, almost over-the-top, excessive conformity to religious laws or religious moral codes. And it's still out there today, you know. Pastor Dave touched on it, I think, when he taught it um, the weekend before. So legalism can really wreck people's faith because it puts a lot of it's jesus plus remember we talked about jesus plus that would be a jesus plus the legalism let's get back to verse three verse three here's what it says the one who eats everything in other words meat and vegetables that would be me by the way must not treat with contempt the one who does not don't judge him and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does for god has accepted them and I would add the word both. He has accepted them both. So don't argue about dumb stuff like food. That's what he's really saying. And really, if you want to hear kind of a summary of what Paul's saying in this little section, he's saying, neither of you, the vegetable only, the meat only, you're neither one of you so right that you have the authority to correct the other person. There's many verses in Scripture that tell us don't judge each other. And this is one of my favorites. You probably know this verse. Let's look at it on screen together. It's James 4.12. There is only one lawgiver, one judge. And we know who that is, God. The one who is able to save 
and destroy. But you, all of you, and you as me, who were we to, what's it say? Judge your neighbor. We're nobody. We're no better than them. We need to worry about ourselves. Look in the mirror before I worry about what you're doing. Paul's going to say almost exactly the same thing in our text. Let's read verse 4. Verse 4, look what he starts out with. Who are you? Same thing James just asked us. To judge someone else's servant. I'll explain that in a second. To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Once again, this sounds a little confusing if we don't know the context. Servant is us. There's only one master in this analogy, and it's God. God is the master. Everybody else is the servant. So don't get confused on that one. So who are we to judge God's servants is what it's really Paul is saying. We're nobody. Then he says, don't worry about it because they're all going to stand in judgment. What that really means is stand before the Lord in the final judgment. We'll cover that when we get to verse 10. So hold your horses for a second. Let me read the first half of verse 5. Here's what 5 says. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. So he's kind of swinging it from food over to the Sabbath. This one day would be the Sabbath, by the way. And so what he's really kind of doing is shifting gears. He's really saying in, a, in the big picture, it's not about food or the Sabbath. It's really about your attitude. It's about how you treat each other, how you accept each other, like our first verse said. That's what he's kind of going to take the tone of the rest of this chapter mostly. And if I read the other half of five, it says, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. In other words, if you think you're right, you better be really, really sure you're right, fully convinced, and not convinced by your own opinion. We'll cover that in a second, too. So the question becomes, how convinced are we about these soapboxes we're on, me included? How, how right do we feel? Is it in God's book? Am I that convinced I'm right? Am I absolutely sure Paul says fully convinced, or... Is it Dave's opinion or your opinion? You can put your own name in that question. So I'm kind of into practical stuff a lot. Let's look at some practical ways. Practical ways we can be sure. Because Paul says, be sure. Let's look at some ways we can be sure. Maybe. There we go. See, I knew they'd get it. Is it doctrinal? In other words, is it in here? Or is it? open-handed? Is it kind of like, well, it's not a salvation issue? And the doctrinal things, I'll just put a couple. These aren't all of them, by the way, but the Trinity, that's a doctrine. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's not negotiable. We will argue on that one. Jesus is God. He's only God. There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus. Those are doctrinal positions that we don't really budge on. But what about end times? Is it a mid-tribulation, post-tribulation rapture? That can be sort of open-handed. We can agree to disagree in a gentle, kind way without judging each other, according to Paul, about those type of things. So is it doctrinal is the first thing you should think about. Does it go against God's word that I just held up? In other words, it can't be, can't be, can't be, I feel. You know, that's what our culture does right now. I feel that I should have the right to do this, that, and the other. I feel that anybody can be married that wants to. 
I feel it's my right to have an abortion. What does God's word say? You can't. It can't be my feelings, your feelings. And I'm sorry that offends you, but talk to Jesus, not Dave. God's truth is God's truth. So it can never be I feel like, I I think, I want it to be that way. Next, does it go against human laws? Because we can't break the law because we think we're right. We were joking this weekend about speeding tickets, I think. Once again, the last one is a big one, I think. Whatever this thing I'm convinced is okay, it's right, it's, it's my right to do this, would I be ashamed to do it in front of Jesus? That should really guide a lot of our behavior, by the way. Anything I think, say, or do, would I do it if Jesus was beside me? Well, I hate to tell you, he is. He's really watching whether we see him physically or not. The Holy Spirit is there, God is there, Jesus is there. So he is watching. So would you do that thing that you're so convinced is right in front of Jesus? Think about it. It'll keep us from making lots of mistakes, I think, if we were to do those simple things. And that's just a few. But let's kind of go now to the why. I told you it can't be about our feelings. Let's go to verse 6. I think we'll see the why it can't be about my feelings. Whoever regards one day, remember, it's, it's not about the Sabbath. It's really about the whole big picture of how we treat each other. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat and or vegetables does so to the Lord. To the Lord is the key here. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains from meat, vegetables only, does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So the why would be, whatever I'm so convicted that's the right way, am I doing it to the Lord? Or am I doing it to Dave? Or to Mark or Sue or whatever your name might be. Is it to the Lord or is it to self? In other words, am I doing it for selfish reasons? That's a great question we all should ask ourselves. Is this about me or about God? Which brings up our second main point for taking notes. Everything we do, and everything is pretty all-inclusive by the way, everything we do should be done to the Lord. In other words, to bring him glory. So that belief I have, that action I'm wanting to do, that belief I have that's cultural maybe, does it bring glory to God? Do some of the things I already rattled off a couple while ago, and if I stepped on some toes, I'm sorry, but God's word says not to do some of those things. Does the things we're thinking about in our mind that I say that, does it bring God glory? Does it bring God glory to go against his word? Absolutely not. So as a believer, we have to always be sure our beliefs line up with his book, with his word and his glory. Our next verse, even we'll take that a little bit further. Let's read verse 7. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Either way, this reminds us in a way, and it's our title tonight. I I usually don't give you the title until we're somewhere in the text, by the way, if you hadn't noticed. Our title tonight is Team Jesus. We as believers are on Team Jesus. Woohoo! Yes! That's an amen. If you're on Team Jesus, think about what a good teammate looks like. You help each other. You take care of the weaker. You encourage them. You build them up. You help them along. 
unless you're a prideful, spoiled, you know, prima donna athlete. None of us want to be that person, do we? No, we want to be on Team Jesus where we're all on the same team, working on the same thing, building God's kingdom. We want to help each other. Verse 9, Paul says, For this very reason, Team Jesus, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and of the living. Paul's going to switch topics a little bit. He's going to take a little rabbit trail. So we're going to go off on a little detour. I'll get us back to the main idea in a second. Many people in our world, remember we talked about culture for a second, think there's no real heaven or hell. They think that when you die, that's just it. You know, dust to dust, go back to dust, it's over. They also think it's kind of a big mystery. They're not sure what will happen. Well, God's word tells us exactly what will happen. But you know what's kind of, in a way, I don't know if it's funny, ironic, or really sad, I would say. Some Christians believe that same thing too. They believe especially there's no hell. They like heaven. But, you know, there's no hell. God is too kind and gentle and good. He would never put people in hell like that. He would never hurt and kill people. Well, we'll get to a verse in a second that I might debate that with you. But this verse also, it's a great reminder that death is not the end. You know, we use that in Calvary funerals a lot. Because, here's why I say that. If death was just this big nothingness, this big vague ending that the world seems to think it is, How would Jesus in that verse be the Lord of both the dead and the living? He's Lord of the dead and the living. So in other words, if there's no dead and nowhere to go, how can he be the Lord of it and the boss of it and the ruler of it? It doesn't even make sense when you look at God's word. But also as a Christ follower, which hopefully you all are, if you're not, come see me at the end. We'll pray a prayer and we can fix that at the end. Get you kind of moving toward the right thing of following Jesus. Christ followers should have great hope even about death. Here's why. If Jesus is your Lord, I didn't say Savior. Savior is when you kind of get on the highway of following Jesus. Lord means he's in charge of your entire life. Everything you say, think, do, you're in obedience is best. We're not perfect, but we try to obey and follow. That's why here at Calvary we call people Christ followers, not believers. But if you're a follower, he's your Lord forever. Even after you die, you'll be with him forever because he modeled it for us, which is our next main point. If you're writing, if you're taking notes, write this one down. Death had no power over Jesus. It's got no power over you either. He's your Lord forever. So it's not that we want to think about. It's a little scary sometimes. I'm just saying don't make light of it, but don't be afraid of it. It's really the start of your real life. This 80, 90, 100 years we get down here is just a glimpse of what the paradise that awaits us. Your real life, my real life, starts after death. And that verse just said, he's our Lord, Lord of the living and also the Lord of the dead. And if you don't believe me, this is the verse I want to read to you. Jesus believes in hell, so you're going to take the world's word or Jesus' word? Jesus, exactly. Here's what Jesus said. I'm not going to put it on screen, but Matthew 10, verse 28. Let me read it to you. Jesus said, this will be red letters in your Bible. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body, kill you. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, and that's a healthy fear, a respect and all, who can destroy both your soul and body in hell. 
Jesus says, God is the Father. He can destroy your body and your soul in hell. If Jesus believes in it, that's good enough for me. I don't know about you, but that's good enough, should be for all of us. So don't let the world confuse you with that. Well, earlier I said we would talk more about this judgment in verse 10. We're almost there. Let me read the first half of verse 10. We'll really hit it harder in the second half. Here's what 10a says. You then, all of us, why do you judge your brother and sister? And he means really your Christian brother and sister. Why do you treat them with contempt? And it ties back to how we started for their weaker faith. He's asking us, why do you eat your young? Why do you keep eating each other up and criticizing and being mean to each other? He's trying to tell us what I just said a while ago. You're on Team Jesus. Act like it. Treat each other with kindness, gentleness, respect. Let's look at a verse in Thessalonians. This one will be on screen for us. It's verse 514. Here's what it says. Brothers and sisters... Believers, Christ followers as we call them, we urge you to do really four things. Warn those who are lazy, but there's only one warning. Look at the other three. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. So really it's a three-to-one ratio. Three encouraging things, one kind of criticism. And the only criticism is for being lazy. So they kind of deserve it. If we're lazy, we should get a little criticism every now and then. So that's how we as Christ followers should treat each other. Warn those maybe, and it's really talking about more, I believe anyway, spiritually lazy. Not so much physically. Physically is bad too, but spiritually lazy. Warn them. Warn them they got to get moving. God's watching. But encourage those that are timid or fearful. Take tender care of those who are weak. That's Paul's theme this whole chapter. And here's the hardest one probably for all of us. Be patient with everyone, especially those people that just aggravate us. You know, that's my, that's my addition, by the way, if you hadn't noticed. It's a hard one. <clears throat> but look at the second half of 10. This is the verse I wanted to camp out on for a second. The second half of 10 or 10b says, the reason why we want to do all these things I just read we will all stand before God's judgment seat. All of us. All means all. We will all, in this room, watching online, in the commons, wherever you're hearing this from, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Let me explain that. Because in Scripture, we don't have time to go deep in this topic, but we, we hit it pretty regular in Calvary, our, our messages, when the verses come up. In Scripture, we see two judgments. There's the great white throne judgment. You've probably heard of that one. There's also one called the Bema Seat. Let me give you a quick, quick, quick synopsis of both. The great white throne judgment, it, it, we see that in Revelation. And if you were here in Revelation, we taught on it. It's Revelation chapter 20. And if you want to read it later, it's verses 11 through 15. This really is the final judgment for unbelievers, the people that don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, that reject the Messiah. And really, it's not so much as a judgment. I would make the case it's a sentencing you get sentenced to the lake of fire where Satan and his demons are going to be cast. It's really like, this is your destination. Come before me, God, I'm going to judge you. But really the judgment is just, I'm pronouncing your sentence. Go away, I never knew you. 
That's the great white throne. So if you're a Christ follower, you don't go to that one. That's the good news. You don't go to that one. Aren't you glad about that? I am. Yes. We do go to the Bema seat judgment, though. And by the way, Bema, if you ever wonder, what does that word mean? It's a Greek word, and what that really means in Greek, it's a raised platform in front of the judge. It's like where you go to get your sentence in a way, too. God will judge Christian followers, Christ-following believers, but in a much different way. And I'll put a slide up in a second. But it's a warning. We have to be prepared for that judgment because the pastor's here, and I am one of the pastors if you haven't figured that out yet. Our job is to warn you this judgment is coming. Because I don't want you going to heaven someday and then seeing me and say, why didn't you tell me about that judgment? I'm going to say, you know what? If you were there on January 25th, you, uh, you heard it. Because I did warn you. Maybe you forgot. Maybe you weren't listening, but I told you about it. It's our job as pastors, Brian, Dave, myself, all the rest, to warn you that these things are coming. Let me read you a verse out of 2 Corinthians. Here's what it says. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Then we'll look at something on screen. It says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, in these physical bodies, whether good or bad. But what is he going to judge? That's sometimes the big question. If we're believers, we're Christ followers, we're getting in heaven, then what will Jesus judge us for? Let's look on screen. It'll make more sense if you see it. Not our salvation. Remember, we're in heaven. This is for believers. There's a verse I put up to kind of prove that to us. John 5, it says, If you hear his word and believe in Jesus, God sent me has eternal life. Believe in the one who sent me, you have eternal life. He, we, won't come into judgment, is what that verse continues to say, because we've already passed from our old life, our death, into eternal life. So it's not a judgment about salvation. It's also not our sin. Look at that verse about sin, Hebrews 10, 17. I will, this is God. I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. So it's not our salvation, not our sin. So what is it? Number three, he judges our service. What did you do with your gifts I gave you? What did you do for my kingdom? Did you share the gospel? Did you volunteer did you help the poor? Did you give if you were able to the church and the work of the Lord? Here's a verse, a sobering verse in a way. That's why I call it a warning. I am coming soon, Jesus. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. So heaven will be about rewards. There's other verses we could have read. We don't have time. God's going to ask me, going to ask you, what did you do after you got saved? Did you just sit on the back row like Dave did for 10 years and do nothing? What did you do with the gifts I gave you? I gave you the gift of worship. We saw those people leading us tonight. I gave you the gift of being an usher in guest services, parking lot, kids ministry. I could go on and on. We have intercessory prayer warriors here in the room. All of us have different gifts. God knows what he gave you, and he's going to ask you someday, what'd you do with it? And I'm not going to be in probably a good situation to go, well, um, uh, well, I don't know. Uh, I just kind of snuck in by the seat of my pants. Because you'll get in, but do you want to really slide into heaven that way? 
by literally in the door slam and kind of catch your coattail as it closes. That's kind of the people that's going to happen to some of them. I'm going to read a long passage. You can turn to it if you like. I'm just going to read it straight through. It's a good explanation about what it's going to look like. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 11 through, I think, 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, here's what it says. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, our salvation. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. So look at the contrast there. Precious things, common, ordinary things that burn up. That's key. Their work, their service, their volunteering will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. That fire is a purifying fire, by the way. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work, service, gifting. If what has been built on the foundation of Jesus survives, in other words, if you did good eternal things, that in this verse the analogy is gold, silver, precious stones, you'll receive a reward. Jesus will reward you with that beam of seat judgment. Well done, my faithful servant. That's the words we want to hear. That's the words many in this room are going to hear. Many of you that are watching online are going to hear. But look at the next verse. If it is burned up, in other words, if it was all hay and stubble and paper and wood, the ordinary, common, worldly things in, in some ways, the builder, me, will suffer a loss. But look what it says. But yet will be saved. So they get into heaven, they'll just have no reward. You'll be kind of... I don't want to say homeless because you'll be in, in your heaven, but you won't have anything to show for all the years you spent down here after you got saved. And then look what it closes with. That we'll be saved, but even though as one, I'll add the word barely, barely escaping the flames. In other words, you're almost in some ways barely in heaven. My little illustration about the door's going to close and catch your shirt tail. We don't want to be that person, do we? So when Brian or Pastor Dave stands up here and talks about serving, giving, tithing, it's not because we need your money, we need you to serve in the kids' ministry, which we sometimes do, by the way. We want you to get rewarded in heaven. It's for your own benefit that we tell you these things. You know, a lot of pastors will tell you God doesn't need our money. He can make it happen anyway, but he wants us to be part of what he's doing. We get the blessing of working with the Lord, and if we don't do some of those things, we don't serve, we don't volunteer, we don't get involved, we're on the back row like I was all those years, I'll be in heaven and like, man, I should have done this, I should have done that. Now, heaven says there's no sadness. We probably won't have regrets, but I think we'll know it because there's going to be a reward, and we won't have it. But let's remember, don't, don't get too scared. The fire doesn't purify or test us. It really tests our service, our gifts. What do we do after he saved us? But the real key here, I think, is valuable things survive. Kingdom things. And that can be a million things. Inviting your neighbor to church. That's a kingdom-building thing. That will survive. But if I'm serving, I'll just pick on guest services because I know a lot of those guys. If I'm on the door because I want to be known and cheered and famous at the door... In other words, I want the attention to be the greeter. That'll get burned up like hay and wood and straw. 
because I'm doing it for the wrong reason. I want to be the center of attention. The common, selfish, worldly, even if it's done under, in my mind, I'm serving church. But if I'm just attention-seeking, it's going to get burned up. That won't last. Where the person beside me, they may not be on the door, but they brought somebody to church this week. God knows that. They, you, will get a reward for that kind of service. Good service for God's kingdom. So we want to be kingdom builders, don't we? I'll get off my soapbox now. But it ties back, in a way, to what I asked while ago. Remember, it's all connected together. Is what we're doing for the Lord, or is it for Dave? Is it for you, or is it for God? That's our real question to ask ourselves later tonight when you go home, when I'm not looking at you. Verse 11, let's move on. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, we know this verse, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. Paul's going to run through some quotes here in a few minutes. This is one of them. He's quoting Isaiah 45. Let me read the passage out of Isaiah Paul quoted from. It's Isaiah 45, 23. Here's what it says. And it's really God speaking. My mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. In other words, it's irrevocable. Before me, every knee will bow, and by me, every tongue will swear. Other verses call it confess. But this happens in end times. This is revelation. This is that great white throne judgment. And at that point, most of the people this is referring to are being forced to bow, forced to confess. You end up, if that's you, at the wrong judgment. You'll be at the bad judgment that sends you to the lake of fire. You don't want to be forced to bow. You want to do it tonight. Do it willingly. Follow Jesus. It's the right thing to do. Verse 12, so then, so then, Paul's going to kind of drive the whole section home. Each of us, unbelievers and believers, that means each of us, will give an account of ourselves to God. We just want to be at the right judgment, the Bema seat, the one where we get our kind of our efforts weighed and rewarded. We don't want to be at the other one. But just so we're clear, let's look at one more verse about this before we move on. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3. We covered this back in our Minor Prophet series, but it's been a while, so we need a refresher. On the day when I act in judgment, God speaking again, they, all of you, if you're Christ followers, will be my own special treasure. I will spare them from that other judgment, is what he means, as the Father spares, look at that word, obedient, an obedient child. Then, if you're obedient, is what it's saying, you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who what? Serve God. I'm on my soapbox again. Here we go about serving. But God says it, not Dave. He says, if you serve me, I will bless you. I'll reward you. Because there's going to be a difference between those that do and those that don't. That's what I'm supposed to tell you guys. And then you act on it how you see fit. But once again, if we see each other in heaven, I'm going to remind you about this date, January 25th. I told you. And I hope I see lots of rewards all around you, lots of crowns. Because I know most of you are those faithful servants. You're doing it for the right thing. You're just humbly serving the Lord. And great job, church. Our church is great about serving the Lord. Giving, serving, tithing, doing things behind the scenes. Great job. So don't let me beat you up too bad tonight. 
Let's keep reading. Verse 16. Um, no, I got to back up. I'm a page ahead. I got so excited, I jumped a page. If you're taking notes, your next main point, let's go back to that. Point, point number four about serving. I got to beat the serving thing one last time. Serving God should come from our appreciation. Can you over-appreciate God, by the way? No, you can't. We can never repay that debt. So it's our appreciation, not our obligation. It's just me and you telling God, thank you, Jesus, for saving little old me. I don't deserve it. I don't know how this ever happened. I have no right to be here, but thank you, Jesus. And I want to pay you back by just doing kingdom stuff for you. It's, it's your appreciation, not your obligation. That's the best way I can almost communicate tonight. Appreciate God. Don't feel obligated. Because if I serve out of obligation because that Dave guy told me to or Brian said it or Pastor Dave Sr. said it, that's not appreciation. That's obligation, and that'll get burned up like hay and straw. It's the wrong reason. Verse 13. Now we can move on. Therefore, because of all this judgment stuff, stop passing judgment on each other. God will take care of that at the end. Don't judge each other. God will do it. Instead, he's going to shift gears a little. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your Christian brother or sister. Well, now Paul's going to kind of swing a little bit. So I'll ask us a question. He used two words. Don't be a, a stumbling block or an obstacle. Well, how could I be a, an, a stumbling block or an obstacle? Well, if I was an obstacle, I could bring in all those legalistic things and say, you have to go to church on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. You have to eat vegetables only. That's what the Old Testament said. And you cannot ever eat seafood and shellfish and lobsters. Don't do it. That's bringing legalism back in. So I could be an obstacle to somebody's weak faith. I would be a stumbling block, though, if I was so secure and I was one of those meat-eating people we read about, and I was so secure in eating meat, I would walk around eating meat in front of everybody that was on kind of weaker faith, and I would mess up their faith. Because remember, they believe it's vegetables only. I can't flaunt my freedom. Even if I have it, it's, it's not my right to abuse it and flaunt it in front of everybody. Because what could happen possibly? If I did that, I could cause somebody that's a newer believer with weaker faith to stumble and fall into sin. Let me give you a good illustration about that one. Because you might think, well, how could meat or vegetables make me sin? Well, let's talk about a tougher one, alcohol. And I'm going to give you the reason why the pastors here at Calvary don't drink. Don't drink alcohol. We know in Scripture, by the way, it says not drinking alcohol is a sin. It says drunkenness. We can debate all night about what drunkenness means. Is it one drink, two, three? When it changes your behavior, I would make the case. I was an ex-drunk. I know all about that, believe me. But if I'm the pastor, we'll just give a little scenario. What if you see me over at Longhorn Steakhouse? I'm having a beer with dinner. I'm having one beer, so I'm not drunk. By Scripture, I'm okay. But what if you're kind of weaker in the faith, you see me drinking that beer, you go, well, look, the pastor's got a, a Michelob light. I want one too. And you order one. Next thing you know, you're having another and two and three. Now I've stumbled you by giving you this almost imagined freedom all because of my one beer. So what we do to make sure that doesn't happen, 
because I would have to answer with the judgment seat for that one, by the way. I don't drink at all because that way it's not a problem. If you see me drinking iced tea or Coke, that's not going to stumble you unless you're on a diet. But we don't drink for that very reason. We don't want to stumble anybody. So you have to read the scriptures yourself. A glass of wine with dinner is not a sin. I'll just tell you that. Two to three might be. Where are you drawing the line of what drunkenness looks like? But the, the real thing Paul's kind of hammering home, though, be sure, be sure, be sure, don't stumble others that are weaker in the faith. Don't use your freedom and stumble people. That's a challenge, once again. Verse 14, back to our text. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. In other words, the Sabbath, the food, all these things we've been talking about. But if anyone else, else is my word, regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. It's about freedom again. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat or because they saw me drinking a beer at Outback, I'm no longer acting in love. That's what it says. It says, do not by your eating and or drinking, I would add, destroy someone's faith for whom Christ died. Don't destroy each other with our own freedom. Think about Paul. Think he was talking about this. Paul was the expert on legalism. If anybody was going to try to weave in some rules, it probably would have been Paul. But he knows that's all done away with. He's got freedom, but he's saying, even though I'm free, I don't want to mess up your faith because you might be have a weaker faith than I do. He knew that Jesus abolished all that stuff. When we talked about that's the Old Testament way. But he also knew that not everybody was there yet. In the church our size, we know the same thing. There's mature believers, there's new believers, there's people like me on the back row for 10 years. There's all a mix of people. Not everybody is on the same page. So we have to be careful we don't stumble each other. Verse 16, therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's theme of this section right here. The kingdom of, let me read verse 17 again. The kingdom of God is not a matter, it's not about the Sabbath, food, vegetables, etc., even alcohol. It's about righteousness, peace and joy, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And really that's our last main point if you're taking notes. It'll be on screen, point number five. Pleasing God is about being righteous. And that doesn't mean being perfect, by the way. It just means obedient to his commands. Trying our best to be obedient. So pleasing God is about being obedient, having peace and joy, not being one of those miserable, sourpuss Christians, and, don't forget the last one, being filled with the Holy Spirit. If we do those three things, it's going to please God. It says right there in that other verse I just read, verse 17. Be righteous, which is just obey. Be full of peace and joy. Be fun to be around, in other words. And be filled with God's Holy Spirit. That pleases the Lord. Verse 18, it kind of closes out that. It says, anyone who serves Christ in this way, in other words, has those three things, is pleasing to God. But look at what it adds after that. And they receive human approval. In other words, people are going to want to be your friend. They're going to want to hang out with you. 
Let's think about those three things I just listed. If we're righteous, upstanding people that obey the Lord, if we have peace and joy, we're not all sour and depressed and, you know, no fun to be around, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, people are going to want to be around people like that. Don't you like being around people like that? I know I do. Some of you are that way. I like being around you. But if you're all angry and sullen and complaining and everything's miserable, do you want to be around that kind of person? Absolutely not. And the real key, though, who cares about human approval if we act the right way, we please God? That's the real key. So, he also used the word serving again, by the way. I feel like I'm up here beating a dead horse about this serving thing. But Paul's doing it. I can't help it. But here's the key, though. If we serve God by doing those three things, because he tied those three things to serving. Being righteous, that's a service to God. Being full of peace and joy, and also being filled with the Spirit. You'll be judged well at that Bema seat judgment. You'll have a great judgment that day when you get there. He won't say, what were you doing with all those gifts I gave you? It'll please the Lord. He'll be happy and excited. He'll already know that we did it because he's God. But he'll be pleased to tell us in person, good job, well done, my faithful servant. It's just a bonus that we get to please each other. Let's read verse 19. We're getting close to done. I'm going to read 19 and 20. Therefore, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification or encouragement. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Once again, these food things don't really apply to us. It's probably more like our attitude, our behavior, our judgment. It's really about how we treat each other. It is better not to eat, verse 21, to eat meat or drink wine, get drunk, or do anything else that will cause your brother. Anything else would compass every other thing that I hadn't listed, by the way. There's a million things we could talk about that would stumble each other. Anything that would cause your brother or sister to fall. So to kind of to sum it up, it goes back to our title. Let's talk about Team Jesus. Paul is really saying in that verse, be a good teammate. Encourage each other, help each other, build each other up. Don't stumble one another. Be that good teammate, just like you can think of in a sports analogy. Verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, in other words, whatever opinion you have, Dave, keep it between yourself and God. Let God be the judge, not you. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he or she approves. Paul adds a little zinger at the end here. And if we read it quick, we'll miss it, but I'm not going to read it quick. We're going to slow down for a second. Here's what he's saying, I think. What in our own life could we approve, really I would make the case, ignore? What behavior of mine, what behavior of yours could you approve slash, really I would say ignore in yourself that might condemn us? And I'll give you a hint. It's probably not meat, and it's probably not vegetables or the Sabbath. Let me give you just a three quick possibilities. Gluttony. Gluttony. Anger. Gossip. Gluttony, anger, gossip. And the list could go on and on. In other words, I have these things in my own life, but I'm so busy judging you. We started this tonight that I, I feel guilty about my own thing. So I'm going to find it in you and criticize you for it. Because secretly, I know I'm doing it. 
and I'm kind of condoning it, accepting it in my own life just to give me the freedom to criticize you for it. That's what Paul's warning us. So it's not about Sabbath food, vegetables. Think about in our own life, what could we work on? What could we ask God to help us get rid of that we're kind of almost accepting in our own self? That's like a big challenge. Verse 23, then we're done. Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat or behave this way. I think it's more than really food right now. Because their eating is not from faith. Their behavior is not from faith is a better way to look at that maybe. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. In other words, it's not about my opinion. Paul's back to opinion again. If I don't have faith based on God's word that he says it's okay, it could be sin. I can't condone sin in my own life. You can't condone sin in yours either. Look in the mirror, not at each other is another way to think about it maybe. And the real question, I'm going to kind of close with a question, then we'll pray. For all of us, let's just think about this as we go home tonight. Are the things I'm doing, am I doing it because I like it, my opinion has said it's okay, or because the world around me does it, everybody else said it's okay? Or am I really convinced, and I have faith really, Paul says, that it's okay in God's eyes? Is it okay in God's eyes? In other words, is Jesus okay with it when he's beside me? If he's not, get rid of it. That's the bottom line. But we need help. We need help. So we're going to close in prayer. We're going to ask God to help us do that kind of thing. To get rid of anything that we're condoning, we're accepting. Or if we're maybe too focused on what everybody else is doing. Let's go home and look in the mirror a little better. We can all, myself, we could all do that. How we treat people. How we respond even when people treat us unfairly and inappropriately, I don't have the right as a Christ follower to respond back in the same way. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? So let's just pray for that. Lord, tonight, there's been some tough verses, and Paul's given us a big challenge, but really, Lord, you wrote the book. It's your challenge, not Paul's. So, Father, send us your Holy Spirit. Let us be peaceful, joyful just Christ followers that are full of your Holy Spirit. But Lord, also just reveal to us personally if there's anything in our own lives that we should quit condoning, quit accepting, and just get rid of it and give it to you and let you take that sinful thought, idea, behavior away. Lord, it may not be an active sinful lifestyle. It may just be we, we just judge people. We're, we're complaining. We're doing things we know we shouldn't in Scripture. Lord, help us stop behaving like that. Let us be peaceful, joyful obedient servants of you, Lord, and we need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. So fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.